Today's reading comes from Job chapter 1 and then chapter 19. Starting in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that you ha- all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then in chapter chapter 19, starting in verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that they were, oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to the book of Job. We're going to be in there for the next half hour. We're going to start in chapter 1. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we need Your grace in our lives. We desperately need Your grace in our lives. And it's so so easy for us to not see it and to think that we can carry on by ourselves, God, but we are helpless without You. And so it's to You and to Your Word, which You have uplifted and sustained the saints for thousands of years, God, we come now to Your living Word. And ask that you would give us life through your word. So God, have your spirit move among us and grant us new life. Amen. Amen. There are certain weeks when you do uh, particular things to prepare for preaching. New Testament, you look in the Greek. The Old Testament, you look at in the Hebrew, and you you outline the text, and you read it countless times, and you meditate on it, and you try to work it and craft on it. And that's that's a couple of weeks when you do all that you can. And then there's some weeks when God prepares you for preaching, and He tears your heart apart, and it's you find yourself. Driving to the ER with a kid in the back seat who doesn't even know his name because he hit his head so hard. And you just, he's asking again, 
what happened? Well, you, you hit your head. Well, what happened? You, you hit your head. What happened? Okay, sweetie, you, you, you hit your head. It's, it's, and I begin talking to myself, to him, it's, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. And then you, and then you finally make your, your, uh, exodus out of the ER. And you get home and you find one, and then that's one child, and another child who has fallen asleep because she said her throat had fallen out. And so she fell asleep, crying herself to sleep because of her throat hurting. And then several hours after that, you're checking on the kids and you find one of them has a temperature of just shy of 106. And so then you begin trying to cool him off as well. And it's about 2 a.m. early in the week. And your beloved bride comes to you and goes, no more preaching on Job. This, this is enough. And we think that we, we compare ourselves oftentimes to the, to our Afghani brothers and sisters who are suffering immensely right now or to other places in the world. And it's easy for us to say, oh, well, we, we don't have suffering because we don't have it to that degree. Yet we still have suffering and it can't be taken lightly. There's still, just think about it, half the people you know and care about, you will see them pass away. You yourself will be wrestling as your body decays and overturns itself to cancer, whatever it might be. So what? how do we sustain ourselves through suffering? And that's what we're going to be seeing in Job. And it's not what you think. It's actually it's the complete opposite. It's not us who are sustaining ourselves through suffering. It's actually God who is faithful to us. And it is God who sustains us through our suffering. So the first part we're going to be looking at is the why of suffering. And we're going to be looking at chapter 1. And then finally in chapter 19, we're going to be looking at this redemption of suffering. So the why of suffering and the redemption of suffering, and I'm hoping you realize that it is, it is God who sustains us through all of our suffering. So that even though Nick and read it, let's go back to the text here. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them in the outer courts of the throne. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking upon it up and down. Well, cause he now has dominion. This is his place of dominion for a while. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blessed, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Verse 11. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand only. Against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Suffering has an ability. In our world in which everything is uh, uh, superficial, quite frankly, 
Say, uh, the suffering has this ability to cut through the superficial things of this world that we adorn ourselves with and get right to the heart of the matter of why we are living and what is happening. And so in, in that sense, it's a grace of God that these temporal sufferings bring us to a place in which we begin to grapple with these eternal questions and wrestle with this eternal God. And so what's happening here in our text is, is pretty astounding. Three times throughout Scripture, you actually hear the words of Satan. It's here in, in Genesis 3, we see them. It's here in Job. And then it's in the temptation of Christ. In Genesis 3, Satan is coming to Adam and Eve and he's telling them, God the Father doesn't love you. He's holding out on you. Don't you want all of the knowledge? Don't you want all of the knowledge of good and evil? God the Father doesn't love you. Do this. Eat of this fruit. Same narrative. Temptation of Christ. Satan is telling him, God the Father doesn't truly love you. You've been starving here for 40 days. Here, just, just here's some stones. Turn them into bread. No, no, no. Satan, you don't understand. Man does not live on bread alone, but on the words of our Heavenly Father. Okay, well, you don't have to suffer the way of the cross here. Just throw yourself down from this, from the top of this temple. The angels, was it not promised to you that the angel was, will, will come and save you? Oh no, no, you, you don't know. It is written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Satan comes at him again. God the Father would know he doesn't really love you. Bow down to me and all that you see, it will be yours. Oh, no, no, Satan. It is written. You shall serve. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this is Genesis 3 in the temptation of Christ. Satan is tempting Adam and Eve and Jesus to believe that God the Father doesn't love you. Here in Job, it's flipped. He's coming to God the Father and he's telling him, Job doesn't love you. See that? Of course he loves you. You've blessed him. He's prosperous. He has all of these camels, everything that he has. He's happily married. He has ten children. He has all of these things. You have blessed the work of His hand so that His possessions have increased in the land. But I can prove to you, God the Father, I can prove to you that Job doesn't love you. Go to verse 11. Stretch out your hand and touch all that He has and I will make Him curse you to your face. Klein, an American theologian, beautifully puts it this way. What's happening here is not, it's not just about the struggles of Job. We like to think, oh, this is about Job. He suffered. He persevered. Okay, I'm suffering. I need to persevere. Boy, I really suck at this. I should be more like Job. But then you heap more guilt on yourself. And it completely defeats the purpose of what's happening here. What's actually happening is Satan is coming to God the Father and he's saying, Job doesn't love you. 
I can take him. Do you remember this promise you made in Genesis 3? That you would have a people into yourself and from them they would crush evil? Well, I can crush these people with evil. I can take your people to me. You can't keep them. You can't sustain them. That's what's happening. So Job is not about us bearing down and suffering well and just keep... No. It's a beautiful narrative of God keeping His people through all of the worst suffering that you could ever imagine. God will keep His people through it all. And that is the beauty of Job. And so, what's also interesting here is that Job has no idea of this conversation that's going on. Yeah, He's clueless as to what's actually happening here. We have this question of why and why and why. Like, why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to me in my childhood? Again, why is my body wasting away? Why do I see my parents? This picture of health when I was growing up, why do I see them declining? And no longer to actually function cognitively. But what Job does is invites us to step back a little bit and to not just see this suffering through our little vantage point, but Job kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and invites us to then trust God through this and to see this whole thing that we don't, all of these things that's happening behind us of why we're suffering, we don't know. Job didn't know. And he never finds out, quite frankly. But Satan can try to do all of these things. But he will never overcome God's promises to eternally redeem a people from before the foundation of the earth. God has set apart a people into himself. And Satan and all of his accusations, they can, he cannot take you away from God's hand. So as the story unfolds here, you see it. Job has his economic calamity. He has the death of his children. He has then struggling with his wife. And then he has betrayal of his friends. You can look here just in, in chapter 1, verse 14. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans, those evil Sabaeans, fell upon them and took them and struck them down, along with the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While this is happening, as if it couldn't get worse, while he was speaking, there came another in verse 16. The fire of the Lord has fallen from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, it's getting worse. Okay, while he's then sharing what's happened there about the fire from the Lord, it's not just the Sabians anymore. Now it's fire coming down from the Lord. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made raids on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job, this mighty, prosperous man, 
is now destitute. And he does not know why. Verse 18. Yet while this servant was speaking, yet there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people, your sons and daughters. And they are all dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't think there's a greater pain than living long enough to bury one of your children. Whether you're 95 or 35. But losing 10 of them and all at once is beyond devastating. But all, through all of this, God does not let go of Job. Job responds and he worships. Naked I came into my naked I came from my mother's room and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And then with all of this economic calamity, so you lose your status among everybody that you've ever known, and then you lose your children, your prosperity, you think, oh, my spouse, my husband, my wife, surely they will help sustain me. And now in this narrative that Satan has also taken the health of Job. So his wife comes in, he's among the ashes, he has boils all over his body as though he's now enduring a plague from Egypt, and he's scraping them off with broken pottery. And his wife, it, 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 and it's echoing here of, of Genesis 3. I hope you pick up on this. It's echoing on Genesis 3 here a little bit, where the wife comes in and calls him to be unfaithful to God. She tells him, just curse God and die. Curse God and die. If you're being honest with yourself, you've had situations where suicide by the lips is quite tempting. But in all of this, God did not let go of Job. And Job did not sin. Satan had predicted that Job would turn away when all was taken. But Job stands here where the first Adam fell. And the commentator writes this, that this victory provided the seal for God's promise that He's made in Genesis 3, that He would bestow upon the faithful the gift of eternal salvation through one who is to come. So here is Job. He's naked. He's got boils all over his body. He's laying among the ashes. He's lost all of his children. He has no money. It's marital strife now on top of it. And then his friends, those wonderful companions, come in to extol their wisdom upon him. Friends, they're great. And, and what they're what they're trying to do, that might be well intentioned, but what they're trying to do is it's it's flipped, right? So in these in these middle chapters, you have about thirty chapters of all of this. Here's here's the summation of their friends' arguments. Job, look in the wisdom literature. 
The godly will be blessed. The ungodly will be cursed. The wisdom literature takes us in this direction. Job's friends stand on this side and they take us this direction. See that? They say, oh, if you're blessed, that's because you're godly. You are not blessed, therefore you are ungodly. So subtle, but devastating. Uh, Rachel had this happen to her when she was living in Cambodia for a while. They, they were doing medical clinics out in the outlying villages and they'd come in and they were in Phnom Penh there for living there for a while. And some of her team fell ill. And the host missionaries that they were with, they were like Job's friends and they went this direction. They said, oh, well, you're ill. Boom. There must be sin in the camp. Why don't you guys repent of all your sin? And Rachel and her friends, they go, no, don't you realize what? No, we were buying time and we were spending time with prostitutes and people who were being trafficked to share the gospel with them. And we got sick from them. We got pink eye and we've got everything else from being with them for this past couple weeks. And how quickly we misjudge because we have the wisdom of Job's friends. But through all of this, through all of this, Job does not know why. And admittedly, it's quite frustrating. Uh, Viktor Frankl is an Austrian Jew. He went through the concentration camps during World War II. Uh, and he, he wrote this book, Man's Search for Reason, and uh, search for meaning. And he kind of his summation was that as long as we know the why, we can endure any how. He looked at the concentration camps and those who endured had a reason why they were enduring and they knew why the suffering was happening. And so when we do this, if we know the why, then we can do the how and we can kind of put it in our humanistic scales and find out if it's worth it or not. Here, but what Job is saying is that you can endure any how. You can endure anything without even knowing the why. Because it is not you that is enduring it through yourself. It is God carrying you through it. So the, it's not so much Viktor Frankl. That if we know the why, then we can endure the how. That's not it. It's not... Without telling you why, the sovereign God will sustain you through this and He will carry you through anything. So towards the end of the book here, Job has his economic calamity. He loses his health. He has a relationship strife. He loses his children. has his rumblings with his friends. And then God finally shows up in these latter chapters. In chapter 37... God says, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You want an answer, Job? You want an answer? You want to know why? Okay. Let's play this game. Dress for action like in the Hebrews. Gird up your loins like a man, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You're asking me why. You want to know all these things. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On where were its bases sunk? On who or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy. Then Job is finally done in and he repents here. Chapter, chapter 42. He says, And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides the counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. And Job repents, and then God restores everything to him. Verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And he has his children come back to him, new children. And Job is innocent in the beginning, and he repents of his sin, of pressing against the Lord, pressing against the Lord, wanting to know why. He wants to know because he doesn't trust. I was greatly convicted over this throughout the week of years and years of asking God why and why throughout this suffering. But then I realized through reading Job and then framing it in such a way that it is not us persevering, but it's God carrying us through all of this. I realized when I'm asking why, 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 just like Adam and Eve in the garden demanding to know the knowledge of good and evil. God, I want to know all that you know. It's not enough for me to trust you. Rather, we must walk by faith. Rather than asking for why, trust in God. Alright, let's recap before we move on here. And Job, what we're seeing again and again and again, that it is the Heavenly Father who is carrying Job through this. He will not lose His people. Not one sheep will go astray. He will keep all of them. That means you. If you are in Christ and you are going through untold suffering, have gone through untold suffering, God will keep you and God will sustain you through all of this. Now we know why. Let's turn to our next verses here. In Job chapter 9, there's this progression going on. In Job chapter 9, there is no mediator between him and God. He said, "For He is not a man that I might answer him. They're talking about God. Or that we should have come to have a trial together. There is no arbiter. There is no mediator between us. In chapter 9, verse 32 and 33. Who may lay his hand on us both. I have no one mediating between me and God, Job says. And you see Job developing in his faith throughout the book. And then in chapter 16, he goes, okay, 
Now I have a witness in heaven. I've gone from no mediator, but now I have a witness in heaven. But he's in heaven, but he will testify for me who is on high. 16.19 Okay, so I go from no mediator, but now I have a witness, but he's in heaven, and I'm still down here. And then in chapter 19, so beautifully, it begins to click for Job what's happening here. Verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So why is Job able to make it through his suffering? Why is God able to hold on to His covenant people with this covenant love that shall never be thwarted? It's because we have a Redeemer who lives. One who has come down to earth. And so I desperately want you to see that all of Job and all of his sufferings are pointing right to Christ. That there, here's Job, he's, he's innocent. He's betrayed by his friends. And he is suffering naked. Well, there is another man who is entirely innocent, who is also betrayed by his friends in his hour of need. And he was stripped of his clothing and he suffered under the wrath of God. And so here we have this culmination of Job that Satan may accuse, but he will never take the children of God out of his hands. For after our skin has been destroyed, yet in our flesh we shall see God. For our Redeemer... Even our Redeemer has suffered, yet He lives. So what do we do? A couple things, very briefly. Number one, live out your faith by not asking why. Live out your faith by not demanding to know why. Again, Job never knows. He has his children, all those camels, all his fortune restored, but he never knows why this happened in the first place. But when God appears to him, and when he has the revelation that there is a Redeemer who has come from heaven down to earth, and that Redeemer lives, that's more than enough. More than enough. Number one, walk in faith. Don't ask why. Number two, suffer well. This is temporal. If you're a child of God, These fleeting years are the only chance you will have to ever suffer. Just know that this is all passing away. It's temporary. Walk in faith. Not asking why. Know that your suffering is light, momentary. Number three. Always remember that it is God who is carrying you through your suffering. Job and Christ, they both have victory through their suffering. There was no other way. They have victory through their suffering. And this same heavenly loving Father who has carried them into glory through their suffering will carry you into His home as well through your suffering. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need eyes to see 
that you are enough. We don't need to fully understand that all of your all of your ways, but God, give us faith to walk and to walk and to take the next step through this life, knowing that our Redeemer lives. He has come down to earth, and through Him we shall see you again face to face. Amen.